0: (laughs) What did they tell you I was going to talk about? Unification (laughs) of mind and body. Body and soul. Body and soul? (laughs) Eberster. Eberster. So do you connect to the Eivishter with your body or with your soul? Yes. You know there's a game that says there are three basic schools of thought. One talks about or emphasizes the relative lack of value of physical things. It talks about how the physical world is fleeting and it has no enduring value and you shouldn't really get excited about physicality and that's called Musr Then there's another school of thought it emphasizes the value of spiritual things spirituality and that's called hakira. and then there's a third school of thought that says that one Hashem made both the material and the spiritual. And that's called? this A lot of times when I speak to uh, non-Jewish groups, it doesn't happen that often, but when, from time to time I'll speak to non-Jewish groups. So, uh, I'll ask them, is God spiritual or physical? And they are all very confident and they rush to say spiritual. And I say, in the heavens or on the earth? In the heavens. Creator or creation? Creator. Creator. And then, uh, I mean, usually then I'll ask them, well, what does it mean when it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. The Lord is God, the Lord is one. So they say, it means one God. I say, no, that's the second of the Ten Commandments, is that there's only one God. This isn't one God, this is one. Oneness. It means that you can't say that... God is more in the heavens than on the earth or more creator than creation or you connect more with your soul than with your body Hashem, the essence of Hashem is oneness which is above both spiritual and material and they're both just ways that we we connect to that essence Okay, so anyways, why am I talking about this? Is the point of life that you should be in Yeshiva or is the point of life that you should leave Yeshiva? You're already caught on to the formula. In Judaism, generally speaking, when somebody asks you a question, there's two choices. Is it this, or is it that? It's a safe bet in Judaism if you answer, yes. That's called a paradox. A paradox is a seeming contradiction. But upon further examination, it reveals itself to be two aspects of the truth. The whole Torah is based on paradox. Moshe Kibal Who received the Torah? Moshe. Who's Moshe? The Megala Mukais, who was a Makubal of Not to Shapiro, who happens also to be my uh, something great-great-great great grandfather or something like that, um, said that Moshe is Roshatevis Machlaikis Shamai Hillel. That lest you think that Shamai and Hillel. Are, are fighting, they're arguing who's right. What do you mean, who's right? Is it Shammai or is it Hillel? Yes. That's what it means. What's the truth? The truth is bigger than just Shammai and Hillel. The real truth is Shammai and Hillel. Is it Laurel or is it Yanni? Yes. You know about the the couple who had Shalom Bayez problems. They came to the Rav. The Rav should uh, sort it out for them. So the husband gave all of his tiniest. He gave all of his complaints about his wife. And uh, the, the Rav listened. And after the husband was finished, the Rav says, you know, you're right. And the wife said, Hold on a second, you didn't hear my side. Let me say my side. He says, Okay, go ahead. And the wife says all of her complaints. And the Rav hears this and he says, You know what? You're right. The Rav's own wife, Ms. Rabbitson, was walking by and she overheard and she stuck her head into the room. She says, They can't both be right. And the Rav looks at his wife and says, You know what? You're also right. (laughs) The truth is bigger than just one perspective. Now, that doesn't mean all perspectives are legitimate. That's called moral relativism, which is very fashionable today. Which is any perspective that anybody can dream up is just as legitimate as any other perspective. That's uh, not true. But what it does mean is that within truth there are many legitimate perspectives. la right? Seventy facets to the Torah. Truth is bigger than just one perspective. It's a mushle. It's not a Jewish muscle. We can make it Jewish. Well, we're we're Jewish, right? Okay. So now it's a Jewish muscle. There's a. It's like Jewish music. What's Jewish music? We're gonna make this Jewish. Okay. There was a blind. there, There was a king, and he asked five blind men to describe an elephant for him. And he brought in an elephant and one of the blind men said an elephant is very much like an oak tree Another blind man said an elephant is very much like a jump rope Another blind man said an elephants very much like uh, a python one blind man said an elephants very much like the flap of a tent and the last blind man said an elephants very much like a wall I think I said five who's counting Yeah it was five you good. So, how could they all describe the elephant so vastly differently? So, the blind man who said the elephant is like an oak tree, he was touching the foot. And the blind man said an elephant is like a rope, he was touching the tail. And the blind man said an elephant's like a a python, he was touching the trunk. The blind man who said an elephant's like the flap of a tent, he was touching the ear. The blind man said an elephant's like a wall, he was touching the body. And the king told the five blind men, You're all correct. You're all correct. It's like sometimes people ask about different disputes in the gemara. I know some people get troubled by it. Like, uh, how can they say that it was one way, and then then there's another gemara that says it was another way? I remember when I was uh, I was a kid and we went on a trip to Eretz Israel, we went on a tour with a tour guide. The tour guide was an archaeologist and uh, he took us to Masada and uh, He was a really good tour guide because he was a Frum guy and he would open up the Tanakh and he would read from Tanakh and he knew what everything uh Alperetot he knew everything but also he was an archaeologist, so he could combine the two and show the consistency. And uh, one of the things he told us was <laughs> that why is Marissa Machpelah called Machpelah? Machpelah means double. I'm talking about the cave in in Hebron, where the where the Oves, where the patriarchs and matriarchs are buried. So it's called Machpelah, which is from the the root double, right? And uh, he says. We knew it was a double cave. We were looking at the cave and uh, Rav says it's a cave on top of a cave and Shmuel says it's a cave next to a cave. And what did we find? (laughs) We found three caves. One on top of one and one next to that same one. Eilu elu, divad alakim chayim. Okay, so you're going to say, why did they both just say that's an L shaped cave? Because the question is one, which one is Iker? Which one is primary? So do you light one more light every night of Hanukkah, or do you light one less light every night of Hanukkah? And the answer is yes. In Inyan, abstractly, you do both. They're both correct. In practice, okay, we have to pick one. So for now, until Mashiach comes, we do like Beis Hillel. When Mashiach will come, we'll do like Beis Shammai. What month was Torah given? You know, in the Torah, there's no uh, names of months. They're all numbers, right. Chaydash Hashlishi, right, third month. And third is counting from when. When does the Torah start? Nisan, right? In fact, the first mitzvah, Chaydash Hazah this month, what, what, when was Hashem speaking to Moshe? Before they even left Mitzrayim, what was month? was Nisan, right? Rish Chedish, Nisan. Very good. First Dev of Nisan. Hashem says, Let this be the first of all months. So Nisan is the first month. Iyar is the second month. And Sivan is the third month. In ice what is that? Sivuqad. In spheroids, in numbers it's one, two, three. In spheroids it's. It's chasad gvora tiferes. Nissan is chasad. What's chasad? Chasad is a free gift. So Nissan was all about a gift from above to below. Hashem did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We didn't even have time to get ready for it. It was so beyond us, right? Our, our, our dough couldn't rise. And the was taking, out, taking us out of Memtes Sharet before we could even get our, uh, our, our bread ready. So that was all chesed. That was coming from above to below. Hashem was doing it for us. He was making it all happen. Another name for Nissen, by the way, is Chedesh Ha'aviv. Aviv is Aleph-Base. spelled Aleph-Base. So Aleph is the top letter and the base is the, the next letter. So it shows that downward motion. Also, Nisin means Nisim. Miracles. Miracles come from above to below. The E-Bishter did it all for us. We couldn't do it for ourselves. We tried to leave Mitzrayim on our own. It, 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 was, it was impossible. There were those who tried to leave Mitzrayim before... The gaula, and it didn't work. It couldn't, it couldn't get out. You couldn't, you couldn't get out by human effort. It could only be the could only take you out. We never really left. We didn't leave. We were removed. It's a big difference. So Nissen is all above to below. That's chassid. Eir, what's eir? What's what's? I'll, I'll ask you an interesting question. There's no trivia in Torah, because nothing's trivial. But it's an interesting question. What is the only month of the year that has a mitzvah deraisa, a biblical commandment, a different biblical com- commandment, every day of the month? Eir. Yeah. 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 And what is the... Svira. Yeah. And it's a different biblical commandment each day, because it's counting each day. <laughs> Eir is all about work on yourself, that's right because Sfirah is not just counting but it's shining, it's polishing and we're polishing our Midas our character traits one by one so that's Gvurah Chesed is above to below a free gift, the Gvurah is pull yourself up by your own bootstraps a self-made man <laughs> Below to above and uh, what's Sivan? T yeah. What's T Yeah, it does mean beauty. And Chassidus explains that beauty is harmony, is combining opposites. But that itself needs to, be exp- needs to be explained. Tiferis doesn't mean that you take hot water and you take cold water and you mix them together and you get lukewarm water. Tiferis means that if you can take the hot water and the cold water and mix them together, and hot remains hot and cold remains cold. Tiferis isn't just some lukewarm mixture of chasin and Gevurah, um. like a cholent of, of Chesed and Gevurah. It's the hair, you know, sort of just diluted. It's neither here nor there. Neither here nor there, that's right. Tiferis is is wild. Tiferis retains the chasid of chassid and the gvura of gvura, and they're they're not bestira. They don't contradict each other whatsoever. It's a paradox. I mean, that's what a paradox is. A paradox is when two opposites are able to be maintained simultaneously without contradicting or canceling or negating each other. So chassid is chasid and gvura is gvura, and they can coexist. So, let's talk about it. Nisan is, who does the work? Hashem Hashem. Hashem does all the work. You can't do the work. This is out of human hands. Iyer is, who does the work? You gotta do it. No one's gonna do it for you. You gotta do it yourself. And Sivan is, who does the work? Hashem or us? Yes. And when was Torah given? Seven. Seven. Chaydesh And like the Gemara says, the Torah is connected with many Shlishis, with many threes. Right? A threefold Torah, Torah Nevi'im K'suvim, was given through a third-born child, that's Meisha Rabbeinu, who was the third of his family, after uh, Miriam and Aaron. To a threefold nation, Yisrael, Le'vi Koehain on the third day of separation they separated from their wives to prepare for Mount mountain Torah in the third month Nisan, Iyer, Sivan everything about Torah is threes why is it threes? because you have one opposite, and you have its diametric, your, the, 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 its antithesis, comes to it and says that the truth is bigger than both of them, and contains both of them. So, did the to make a world, or is it Eneb Mavadeh, there's nothing but him? Yes. Does the Avish to do all the work, or do we have to do all the work? Yes. Is Yiddishkeit about the body or about the soul? Yes. Another term for Tiferis, or a way of describing it, is, um, you've heard about how sometimes we describe the Sphirois, spatially kava yamin kava small the right axis the left axis so Chesed is the right hand draya yamina like it says in uh, zayer and is draya smaller, the left hand tiferis is in the middle it's called the kavoim tzai the middle axis See this explains the Tsoi is alna. It surpasses everything. What does it mean it surpasses or it transcends everything? What it means is this, How can you have chesed remain chesed, gvura remains gvura, neither are mitigating each other, neither one has to dilute itself or back down from their position, they both remain full force in what they are, they both remain opposites, and they're not contradicting each other, and they're in harmony with each other. The only way that's possible is to stand on high ground to stand up higher, in a place, in a perspective that's higher, where you can see how opposites can coexist. Like, let's say, there are two people in a valley. And you ask them, what is, what's in the valley? And someone says, I'm looking all around and I see nothing but trees. It's a forest. The valley is a forest. And then you ask another person, what's in the valley? He says, I'm in the middle of a town. I see nothing but houses and people moving all around me. And then you ask the guy standing on the mountain looking down in the valley. And you say, what's in the valley? He says, well, there's forest and there's a settled area. There, there There's a very large town. If you're in the forest, for sure you can't see outside of the forest. And even the town, the town's so big, you can't see out of the town. When you're in the middle of the town, you just see town. When you're standing up on the mountain, you look down, you see forest and town. Conceptually, what do we call this? You know the Brai Seder Rebbe Right before Shachris the end of the Kavanas, we say the Brisey of Rabbi Right, Bishleishas Rimeides the There's thirteen methods of expounding the Torah. Two scriptural statements that contradict each other. Ad until a third scriptural statement comes along, and it reconciles the two. How can the third statement reconcile the first two? They're opposites. the two the two statements. Are contradicting each other. How can you resolve the contradiction? Well one easy way to resolve a contradiction is Peshoda as a compromise. You take A and you make it back down from its position and you have B back down from his position and then they they meet in the middle. That's not what we're saying. A remains true, B remains true, and C shows us how both A and B are both true. And they're not in contradiction with each other. Even, and, and they're both opposites. Negrashi gives an example of, of this uh, principle. When it talks about where did, where did the, the voice of Hashem speak to Moshe from? Right, you remember this? It's in Chitas. Was it between the, the, the Kruvim? Or was it the entrance of the al it was both. Yes. 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 And ma'ishu would enter the Al-Ma'id and the voice would come from between the the kruvim be heard by the Al-Ma'id. the entrance of the Al-Ma'id. Uh, I'll give you a, a, a more pedestrian example. La Let's say you uh, you've never been to New York, and you ask your friend, "What's the weather like in New York?" and he says, "Oh, it's hot and muggy." And then you ask another friend, you just want to check before you, uh... before you pack. What's the weather like in New York? He says, oh, it's bitter cold. How can they both be right? And then you ask your third friend, who's a very smart guy, and he says, well, New York is in a temperate zone and there... there's... there are seasons. In the summer, it's hot and muggy. In the winter, it's... it's bitter cold. Ah. So hot and muggy didn't have to become less hot and muggy. Bitter cold didn't have to become less bitter cold. And somehow it all makes sense. It all fits. Once you have the third piece of information. The third piece of information is a bigger picture than the first two. That's Tiferis. Tiferis is the bigger picture. Standing from the mountain where you could see the whole valley at once. Here's the town. Here's the forest. One valley. So from a perspective of Tiferis, is it Chesed or is it Gvura? Yes. It's not a contradiction, even though they're opposites. Chesed and Gvura are opposites, and it's not a contradiction. That's Torah. By the way, what's the zodiac sign of of Sivan, of the third month, do you know? Gemini. Are you a Gemini? Anyone here is born in Sivan? Yeah? Me too. I also am born in Sivan. I'll tell you a joke that you could use if you're born in Sivan and you're a Gemini, you could use this joke. I don't believe in astrology because I'm a Gemini, and Geminis don't believe in astrology. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> now I'm going to make sure you got it. Do you get why that joke is only funny for a Gemini? You couldn't say I'm a Sagittarius, and I don't believe in astrology because Sagittarius is don't Sagittarii. Maybe that's a Sagittarius. Yeah. There's two Geminis and no other. One, double. What does Gemini mean? Twins. Twins. And they're not identical twins. They're actually opposite twins. Do you know about any opposite twins? Yeah, Yaakov and Asav were opposite twins. Yeah. What were they fighting over? When Rivka was still pregnant, they were fighting. It says they were fighting over two worlds. Why were they fighting over two worlds? Elam Hazza and Elam Habba, the physical and the spiritual. But hold on. If Esav is the crass, materialistic one, let him have Haza, the physical world. And if Yankiv is the spiritual one, let him have Haba, the spiritual world. So I fight. I could settle that one real fast. They both wanted both? They both wanted both. Then how are they different? They're opposite. They should. Then the, If they both want the same thing, they both want both. They're the same material, physical, to be primary over spiritual, and the, the, the spiritual, to be primary over physical? So they both want both. The question is which one is primary? So the, the Rebbe Maraj, his wife, Rebbe Tzendrifka, when she was young, she had to take uh, A medicine. And the doctors told her that she has to take it in the morning, first thing in the morning, and she has to take it on a full stomach. But she didn't want to do that because it says in Shulchan Aruch, you're not supposed to eat before you daven. So she wanted to get up and then daven and then eat and then take her medicine. But the doctor said she has to take it first thing in the morning. But also she has to have it on a, on a full stomach. So she figured out a trick. What did she do? She got up extra early. She would daven. And by the time she finished davening would be the time where she normally would get up. That was her trick. And then she would eat. So she was eating after davening, but it was at the time where she would normally have just gotten up. And then she would take the medicine. And her father-in-law, the tzemach tzaddik, found out about it. And he told her, that's not right. Don't do that. And what did he tell her? best sebesser Essen. Sulib davenin, it's better to eat for the sake of prayer, the Davnin Sulibasin to pray for the sake of eating. So Toyota comes and tells us this: we need a soul and a body. We need Elamhaza and Elamhabba. We need creator and creation. Milmaila lamata from above to below, Milmata lamaila from below to above. We need both. And there no contradiction. Do you know uh, when the Rebbe came to America? Forty. What date? Uh, seven. Chof Chas Sivan. the twenty-eighth day of Sivan. Yeah. In what year? Forty-one. Forty-one. Tov Shnayv. You want to hear something wild? Oh, wow, that's good. You know that the Rebbe went back to Europe after the war to go bring his mother, Rebbe Tzinchana, to New York? In Tovshin Zion, 1947. Do you know when the Rebbe arrived in America the second time? Chof Chesivan. Now that's weird. Same date. What's the significance of Chof Chesiven? (laughs) Hmm? Oh, that's your (laughs) Chasenah? Yemir Tz Hashem coming up next week or two weeks from now, whatever it is? Oh, wow. The Rebbe said that Chav Chesiven is a Yem Zakkai. It's a meritorious day. So it's a good day you're getting married. By the way, is marriage about the husband or about the wife? Yes. 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 Don't say the politically correct thing. Say Teyda Samis. Is it about Zor or is it about Malchus? Yes. See, that's the thing. You know, for hundreds of years, women were oppressed and put down. And and this is Teyda testifies to the fact that in Gaulis femininity mm. is despised and disparaged and and put down, and women are oppressed. It's not a good thing, it's a symptom of the gallus. it's a symptom of the gallus. the Shkintah Begolosa, the Ebeshtis femininity is, is taking a beating in Golis femininity Bechlal b- takes a beating in Golis and then what happened in the past generation is the pendulum swung the other way and now we gotta beat up the men, and that's how we're gonna build up the women, by beating up the men and that's why you have the men's rights movements and, uh, because yeah. <laughs> the men are tired of of course, because they're tired of being victimized. <laughs> you don't know about this. I'm the first guy to tell you about this. No, the time There's not so much yeah. around. You don't get You've been you've been in Yeshiva your whole life. <laughs> so you've been under a rock. been under a rock. Let me tell you like this. Very simple. If, it's, I'll give you an example, maybe you can relate to a little bit better. If somebody asks the question, why does an Orthodox Jew make a blessing? Thank God I'm not a woman. on the Isha. So if the rabbi says, well actually it means not that women are worse. It means women are better. That answer will be accepted. Oh, Oh, thank God. I thought you were saying women were worse. And that's fine. That's great. Women, but women aren't worse. They're better. Men are worse. Oh, thank God. Men are worse. You're not aware of this? That this is what society has come to? That we, we tried to right one wrong by inflicting the very opposite wrong upon ourselves. We don't make femininity greater by disparaging masculinity just because, unfortunately, all these years in exile, people have exploited the weaknesses of femininity instead of celebrating its its advantages and its strengths. But two wrongs don't make a right. So I'm going to ask you again, don't give me the cute PC answer, give me the Taittus Amis, Taitta which was given in Khayda Shashlishi in the third month. Is marriage about the husband or about the wife? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. that's right. Yichod zun The unification of the masculine energy and the feminine energy, Zeranpin, the 6 midas of Atziluth which are the building blocks of energy for the universe. Nukva, the feminine, which is Malchus, the recipient that receives those energies, nurtures them, and gives birth to worlds. You can't have Zohar without Malchus or Malchus without Zohar. It's not Kutshebrichu without Shkinte, it's not Shkinte without Kutshebrichu. enough for the extremism so Chof Ches Sivin is when the Rebbe came to America, twice! now I would never dare to guess the meaning of something like that but the Rebbe spelled it out eventually there's Asichah Tov on Aleph where the Rebbe spells out the deeper meaning of Chof Chesifin. I think Chof Chesifin, by the way, is the overlooked Yamtiv of Dershvi Shvi, of the seventh generation. Chof Chesifin should be at least as big to us as Yud Alef Nissen and Yud Shvat, or Yud Alef Shvat. the Rebbe came to America but you know what I think happened this is just my theory did you ever wonder why Yud Tes is Chag HaChagim in Chabad we call it Chag HaChagim Rosh Hashanah Lech Siddas. that's the Yema HaGaula the liberation of the Alter Rebbe and then there's Yud Kislev which is the liberation of the Mittler Rebbe and Yud Kislev always sort of gets looked over, you know, because one simple reason is because Yud Tes Kislev is so soon, is coming so soon, so, you know, if you're, you're planning the big and so you want to sort of pace yourself, you, you know, you, you're looking already at Yud Tes Kislev, and Yud Kislev sort of gets gets lost in there. Another reason, historically speaking, um, when the mittler got out of prison on Yud Kislev, they did not have a year... In which to celebrate Yud Kislev, because the first anniversary fell in the Shiva of the Mitlarebbe, because you know the Mitlarebbe's birthday and Yemistalkus are the same day, which is what, what day? Tzis Kislev, the ninth of Kislev. So his Yemagula the day of his liberation, that anniversary is on the tenth of Kislev. He passed away on the ninth, so that holiday never really got celebrated properly the first time. And then after that, it sort of never really caught on. I think similarly, you know, no one really understood what Chof has was until the Rebbe explained it in 1991. And then before, before the first anniversary, before 1992, was already Chof Zayin Adr. And then by 1994 was Gimel Tamaz. But I think we have to go back to what the Rebbe said in 1991 about the greatness of that day, and make sure that we observe it... properly. What do the Rebbe say about Chof Ches First of all, Chof is Kayach, power, strength. And it's not just any old power or strength, it's Kayach Sivan, the power of Sivan. What's sivan? If I want to know the power of sivan, I have to define plain old sivan. What is sivan? We said it before. What's sivan? Unification. The unification of opposites. Tiferis. So, koyach sivan is when the unification of opposites is in its fullest force. It's a good day to get married. <laughs> yes, Matin <sighs> was the first big event that really brought out the true nature of Sivan. Because on it's a because at the time of the revelation of at Sinai, what happened is that the spiritual and the material were able to unite. That whereas the Alves, the patriarchs, they were very holy and they performed all of the mitzvahs. Before, before Toyota was even given. But their mitzvahs didn't really transform this world. They couldn't make physical objects holy because holiness is a spiritual quality and a physical object cannot be endowed with a spiritual quality. It's like saying, what time is it? What time is it? Purple. Well, <laughs> you know, that's not the answer to what time it is. So a physical object, it could be heavy or light or or big or small or black or white. Those are words you can use to describe a physical object. But to call a physical object holy, holy is a spiritual quality. Angels are Holy. So, when the mitzvahs were given, we we were given the power to unite physical and spiritual. Now, that was planned all along, from before the world was created. The Abishter only created the physical world because he had in mind that the physical world should be the ultimate forum for the expression of spirituality. That ultimately, the earth should be holier than heaven. So he only created the physical world because ultimately it will become a better way of revealing godliness than, than heaven is. Far better, incomparably better. Which is why, you know, we say in the Kiddush Friday night we say Yay Mashishi, right? Why does it say Yay Mahashishi? The sixth day? With the definite article, with the hay, the Gemara says, because when the Abishta created the world, the entire purpose of creating a world was not just to have a world. A world is, is concealment. I Malashin Hallem, right? The word Ayin Vav Lamed Mem, means Hallem, concealment. World means concealment. And Haza, this world, is the ultimate concealment. <laughs> concealment upon concealment upon concealment. Compounded concealment. To the extent that the way this physical world operates, a person can look at it and study it and be sure it operates on its own. But the, the Ebeshto only made that condition, this physical world, Because he wanted that in that ultimate concealment should be the place of ultimate revelation and that the world should be holier than heaven. And that God should be more revealed in the physical than in the spiritual. So when he created the world, he had in mind already the whole purpose of it is Yem HaShishi, the sixth day which specific sixth day the definite article indicates it's talking about a specific and known sixth day. It is talking about the sixth of Sivan the day of Matan that when the Nehavishta created the world was only for the sake that there should be 2,448 years later 26 generations later Matan Teira So the first big unification of opposites not just the first, but the one that made possible every subsequent unification of opposites, is Matan Teirah. Then, in our generation, something happened again in Chedesh 7 that is so Sivan-like. It's almost like the essence of Sivan. You might even call it the power of Sivan, the Koyach of Sivan, the Kofches Sivan. It's just so archetypically, quintessentially Sivan. The Rebbe came down from Chatzikadrat el Yoin to Chatzikadrat ach from the higher hemisphere to the lower hemisphere. We are, um, I believe the term is boreal centric. Do you know what that means? Mm-hmm. We are biased culturally toward the north. When we think of a map, we think of North being on top. Which is absolutely arbitrary. There's no reason North has to be on top. That's convention. That was just agreed upon and people stuck to it. How do you think a little kid in Australia feels? (laughs) (laughs) Really an orb, like the Earth... No flat earthers here, right? (laughs) An orb like the Earth... Really, you can choose any spot on a perfect circle or perfect orb as uh, the center. And then if you choose any spot as the center, then there's an opposite spot, that if you go from that spot through the diameter of that orb, there will be a spot opposite of the of, of the first spot, which is the farthest different distance from it on that orb. There's actually a term for this. The term is Antipodes. In fact, Australia till this day is referred to as the Antipodian or Antipodians, Antipodian lands or Antipodians. Antipodes the word the root pod like podiatrist means a foot. So Antipodes means, if you're standing on any given spot on the earth, your feet are pointed down toward the center of the earth. Any spot you stand on the earth, your feet are are pointed toward the, the center of the earth. And if you would make an imaginary straight line through the diameter of the earth and come out on the other side, that's the Antipodes. When we were kids, We used to say, we're digging a hole to China, right? Because we thought, it's not exactly, but we thought that the exact opposite side of the orb of the Earth is China. So what is the real pole? Not the North Pole or the South Pole. What is the real pole? As far as what is significant to us as Jews. What's the epicenter of the world, of the Earth? So it's Eretz Israel or, or, or Yerushalayim or the Beis HaMikdash. And that's the top of the world. And everything that you can see, if you take a, a, a globe and you point Yerushalayim right towards your face, so it's in the center of that globe, everything you can see while the globe is in that position is called Chatzikadra Elya the top hemisphere. And basically, All of Jewish history, for 3,300 some years, took place in that hemisphere. Wherever your great-grandparents came from, or if it was your grandparents, or your great-great-grandparents, however far you have to trace it back, they came from the higher hemisphere. And it doesn't matter if they came from Poland or from Morocco. Or they came from uh, Persia, or they came from Lithuania. Ashkenazim, them. no difference. Everyone can trace their lineage back to Chatzikadra el Because Jewish history was very, it was confined basically to, I mean... Wherever wherever your ancestors came from, it's no more than a three-hour flight from from Israel. I can guarantee you that. And then something happened only in the past hundred years. Hundred fifty tops. Okay, you're going to tell me, but there are there are Jewish settlements from three hundred years ago. Okay, fine. Tiny pockets of settlements from three hundred years ago. But really, when did the shift happen, the mass migration that Jews left the higher hemisphere and came to the lower hemisphere? It's only the past hundred years. It's a very new phenomenon. Why did we have to shift down to the lower hemisphere? We were in one hemisphere for all of Jewish history and then suddenly we shifted. Okay, so the Rebbe explains this. That when you want to lift a building, you want to lift a house. You don't pick up a house from the top. You know, get a crane and lift the house up by the roof of the house. What's going to happen? You try to lift the house by the roof of the house. You lift the roof. The roof will tear off. You lift the roof. If you want to lift the house, and a house can be lifted, you got to get up underneath it. you got to pry it up. you got to use leverage. And you get leverage by getting up underneath. You get to the bottom, then you get your leverage, then you can lift the whole thing. We want to lift up the whole world. We can't pick it up from the top. We've got to pick it up from the bottom. got to get up underneath it, pick it up from the bottom. So we want to bring Mashiach. It's got to be done from the bottom. What does it mean, the bottom? Okay, so spatially, geographically, yeah, if you imagine Israel at the top, and then everything opposite being the bottom, but also spiritually. Spiritually. Where is the, the, the place of the Hamikdash, And where is the place of Eretz HaKodesh, the Holy Land? And where is the place where, where the Revelation at Sinai took place? And where is the place where ninety-nine percent of all the holy svodim and all the whole, uh, were written, and all the holy tzaddikim lived? All on the top half of the world, the top hemisphere. So all that Jewishness was really confined to the top. But well, we can't lift up the world by grabbing it from the top. We got to lift up the world by getting it up from the bottom. So what had to happen is there had to be a transference of our positioning so we could get the leverage. Now now what does that mean? That means when the Reb and the Rebotson left Europe, you could describe it as them running from something or you could describe it as them running toward something. And, and you could say that the Reb and the Rebotson fled, war-torn Europe, and they managed to escape on the last boat that crossed the Atlantic. And, and that's factually true. There was a war, and the Holocaust was going on, and they did leave on the last boat that crossed the Atlantic. That's one way of describing it. So then, basically, the Deb and the Debbetson escaped Europe. But that's certainly not the whole story. The rest of the story is what the Reb and the Rebetzin came to America for. To lift up the world. To get up underneath it from the bottom of the world. Let me ask you like this. Since the Rebbe sent shluchim all over the whole world, shluchim are all over the whole world. So then, what does it matter where Lubavitch is based? In other words, very—it's a very crass question. But if it's an international corporation, do you really care where the headquarters are? Does it make a difference? Taxes. <laughs> For taxes. it's a nonprofit so they don't have that issue it's <laughs> yeah. the, the spiritual alignment of kabbalah with the idea of bringing the world up from its bottom the reason that kabbalah's a big city to not out uh, you know in, in the most beautiful places the whole spirit and design and target and goal of shlichus is synonymous with the lower hemisphere getting up underneath getting getting to the bottom of it and lifting it up from the bottom. That's right. So it couldn't have been any other way. It's not like Lubavitch could have gone to Eretz Yisrael, like so many of the yeshivas and so many of the Hasidic courts and they went to Israel and they flourished in Israel. And Chabad couldn't have done that. Chabad had to come underneath. And by the way, New York is not the geographical center of the lower hemisphere, but it is the... Our center of the geographical lower hemisphere. And that's what the, the Rebbe called it. He called it the Ir Habira. He called it the capital. And it is the capital. That's why when on uh, 9-11 when 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 they targeted the West, they targeted New York. New York is the capital of the Western Hemisphere. So it's not just that the the Rebbe has Shluchim all over the whole world. It's more than that. It's the Rebbe sent out Shluchim from Kadra Tachtoin, from the center, the power center of the lower hemisphere, from New York, which represents Western civilization the strength of western civilization and its power and its might and that from that place, the Rebbe sent out the Shluchim to lift up the whole world you know like the song the camp song, from 770 we're marching out, it's not arbitrary, it's not that's part of the whole, that's intrinsic to the mechanics of lifting up the world, it has to be from 770 it's not just where the shliach got sent to. It's where he got sent from. So that's that's why I say Chof chasivin is really undervalued, under esteemed. We have to really, especially... If you're an American boy like myself, if you relate to it's 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 an amazing concept. I mean, you, you, for a second, let's let, don't even think about it in global terms sometimes it's more impactful to think about it in local terms. Think about it personally. Think about where you would be if Lubavitch remained on the higher hemisphere. I don't think he'd be here. I know I wouldn't be here. It, it required that the Rebbe should take the energy of Matantoiro and bring it down here and that it should emanate from down here. That's called leverage. That's the power and the might and the essence of, of Sivan of the third month. You know, the Friedrich Rebbe said, America is nishtandrish. America is no different. And the Rebbe spoke about how Chof Sivan was the culmination of Tess Other. Tess Other is when in Tauf Shin in 1940, when the, when the Fideic Rebbe came to America. The Fideic Rebbe said, America is nishtandrish. America is no different. What does that mean? That everything we had in the Altaheim, in the old country, back in Europe, we could have it here as well. The, the, the Rebbe said more than that. Not just whatever we had back there, we can also have here. We don't want to just have what we've always had. The good old days. We want to have something we've never had. We want to have something greater than ever existed before. Greater than what we had back in Europe. In fact, greater than what we had... When Iker Shchinab ha'isa, right, in the beginning of Briyas when the main Shchinah, when Hashem's presence, and you learn the Maimer the Bosilagani from Toshin Yoralef, and the Rebbe explains the, what the what Iker kind of what kind of a level of Eloquus that's talking about, pre Tzimtzum, and it's down here in the physical world, and yet, what we're looking for is greater than that. Because. Hashem keeps Jewish law and Jewish law says you're not allowed to destroy a building unless it's for the sake of building a bigger building so live nice so the fact that the Ebeshut had that he had the main revelation of godliness in the physical world in Gan Eden before the sin of the tree of knowledge and then that got scrapped and it was Hashem's fault, like the Mittler Rebbe explains, <laughs> that Adam, Adam was framed, he was set up, that the had in mind that the uh, the, <laughs> that the sin of the tree of knowledge had to happen. It was all part of the plan. It was all part of the plan. But it was part of the plan for what? Why such destruction? In order to clear the way for greater building. So what we're going to have when Mashiach comes is not just all the good old days, whatever we had before the Holocaust, pre-war Europe. When Mashiach comes, it's not only going to be greater than that, it's going to be greater than whatever Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden in this world when, when paradise was here on earth. So that's a lot more than America is, is no different, America is the same. This is no, this is something more. That we're going to do something unprecedented, something greater than you can imagine. Or like the Rebbe said, famous letter of the Rebbe, where he said that since I was a child, going to school and even before that, from, since my early childhood, the, the, the image of the future redemption of our people began to take form in my mind. A redemption that would be so incredible, so great, that not only would it make up for all of the persecution and the suffering and the terror that the Jewish people experienced all these years in exile, but that we would be able to say to Hashem in the words of the prophet, "Aidcha Hashem, be We would thank Him for all those painful moments because we would actually be able to see the, the, the hidden goodness. The goodness would become revealed. And and to, how do you even fathom such a thing? To make up for it, that's one thing. But that you should actually be able to see it being good. I can't wrap my mind around that. And yet. The revelation of godliness that will take place when Mashiach comes has to be so powerful, so great that it won't just make up for whatever it is that we endured in exile. It'll show us the Yisina Oyer Bominach the advantage of darkness that's transformed into light. You know about Yisina Oyer Bominach it's a It's the wording itself is from a is a paraphrase of a verse in Kehalis in Ecclesiastes, which is one of the wisdom books of Solomon. But this explains it. Well, the simple explanation is Shlomo Melech, King Solomon is saying, "I have seen the advantage of light over dark." Light is better than dark. Yeah, no kidding. Light is better than dark. That's like saying, would you like uh, a piece of cake or a kick in the pants? Well, I think a piece of cake is better than a kick in the pants. Okay, fine, awesome, all right. So light is better than dark. That's, That's the simple explanation. Then there's another explanation. Subjectively speaking, when do you really appreciate light? Only because of dark. That if you're in a dark room and then you come out of the dark room into the light, that same light appears so much more intense and bright because of your experience with the dark. But that's still not the ultimate explanation because it's still just subjective. It appears that the light is brighter, but it's only because your perception is such. The, the ultimate explanation of Yisna Oyer Minachoshech like Chassidus explains is Oyer Minachoshech, Min can mean than, but it can mean from. Minachoshech means light that comes from darkness. Light that is made from or made out of darkness. If you could take darkness, and turn darkness into light, that is... So imagine you're in a dark room, and imagine you could quantify the amount of darkness... Whatever that quantity of darkness would be, you could turn that, call that x, assign to it a value x, and then you would turn that into inversely x amount of light. However much darkness there was, now that same darkness is light. And then after you do that, you turn on the lights. And now you have two lights the regular lights you get from turning on the regular lights, but also you have the additional light, which is the darkness that got turned into light. The Rebbe Deshab says in Samach Vov, he writes there, that the purpose of Tzimtzum, of the contraction, the concealment of godliness that allows for the appearance of of separate selfhood, is not that when Mashiach comes that the intensity of revelation will do away with the Tzimtzum but rather that when Mashiach comes the Tzimtzum itself should shine imagine that the darkness itself becomes light So whatever the Abishta had when the world was created whatever light there was that's regular light and the took that away because there was a Chet and there was a Chet and there was a Chorben Bayesvishoy and a Chorben Bayesheini all these destructions where the light got removed from the world darkness entered And yet, ultimately, what happens is not just that the light gets put back and cancels out all that dark. That's called a zero-sum game. Why would Hashem do that? That's like digging a hole and filling it up again. No, what's going to happen in the end is the darkness itself becomes light. And now we have, and then you reintroduce all the light that was concealed. So then you have the light that was concealed comes back. Plus, all the darkness was concealing the light. Now, not only it doesn't conceal light, it is light. We have double light. So why did your precious holy soul have to leave heaven? And come to a place of darkness called this world. And then be plunged into this body, which is another layer of concealment. And then in the body, it's invested inside an animal soul. The animalistic survival impulses. Why did your precious holy soul have to be plunged into that level of concealment and darkness. Only for one reason. To create greater light than whatever it is that the soul could experience in heaven. That's why Judaism isn't just the soul, it's also the body. It's not just about above to below. It's also about below to above. Not just about the supernatural. It's also about the natural. All these paradoxes and dichotomies, and then you say which one is it? And you, yes. It's the marriage of the two. It's the marriage of the two. The unification of the two. The yichud kushibriko shinte. The infinite and the finite. The spiritual and the physical. The perfect and the imperfect. The masculine and the feminine. The creator the creation. All these opposites get unified. And that's the job of Torah, which was given in the third month. And that's the job of our generation... Which was assigned to us from the lower hemisphere. That Ebba's vision had to be launched from the lower hemisphere and continues to be implemented from the lower hemisphere. So that all that concealment and that darkness will get lifted up and elevated and transformed when Mashiach comes. Don't tell me that we we went through 2,000 years of exile, so at the end of it all, we're going to get to go to a special exclusive country club where we will be able to bask in the glory of God. That, that's you know there's a machleik, there's a dispute about what Elam Haba means right? Elam Haba according to the Rambam and the Ramban so the Rambam says that Elam Haba the world to come means Elam an Shamas. that means paradise Gan where souls go after 120 years in this world to go get their reward the Ramban says Elam Haba means Elam Atchiyah This physical world after it's completely refined. We didn't wait 2,000 years in exile to experience spiritual revelation in heaven. That's a very nice thing for souls in the interim. In the meantime, before Mashiach comes, when souls finish their work, they go to a very pleasant, very nice place called Gan Eden, and it's very nice up there. But that's not the ultimate. That's not why we were in exile for 2,000 years. It's not why Hashem created a physical world with all of its concealment and everything else that exacerbated that throughout history. He created it, the physical world, and the body, and all these concealments, so that in the end, the concealment itself should be part of revelation. The greatest revelation. So the soul will come back in the body, and not only the soul will come back in the body, but instead of the soul sustaining the body, the body will sustain the soul. And the greatest revelation of godliness will not be what a soul can subjectively experience in in paradise, which is a subjective revelation, meaning what the soul is able to fathom or understand. Rather, the greatest revelation will be something objective. You know what I mean by objective? Objective. A subjective revelation means that if, you know if I tell a joke and only half of you get it and of the half of you that get it some of you get it and some of you really get it that's subjective revelation so if, for instance the purpose of life were enlightenment so that's subjective how much enlightenment well it depends on your kalim, It depends on your capacity when Mashiach comes what do we say? all flesh will see the, the speech of Hashem is enlivening everything meaning you won't have to be enlightened you won't have to be a smart guy you won't even have to have learned Chassidus although the Tzermach says at least if you learn Chassidus you'll have the Aha you'll say ah oh, that's that thing we were learning about but all flesh will see because it'll be an objective reality Physicality, however, you can envision this, physicality will not conceal godly power. To the contrary, physicality will be a greater means for revealing godly power than spirituality. If you can wrap your head around that paradox. So here's the bottom line. You want a bottom line? Or I should just fly around in a holding pattern until uh, we run out of fuel. (laughs) I could do that. We could go till 6 in the morning and then I'll say, ah, I forgot my main point. Why don't I give you the bottom line? Okay. Sounds good. Sounds fair. Yeah. Don't feel like having to crash into a building tonight. No, God forbid. No, we're going to land this thing. (laughs) Land safely. And we we won't even uh, lose your baggage. Whoa <laughs> Did I ask you before is the purpose of life to come to Yeshiva or to leave Yeshiva? Yes. yes. I asked you that right mm-hmm. <laughs> So let's think about this: Is that we're in yeshiva, baruch hashem? Is the purpose to come to yeshiva or to leave yeshiva? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Catching up. You know about the four who entered the Pardes Yeah. The Gemara in Chagiga talks about the four sages who had. An experience, an out of body experience. They experienced a higher level of consciousness. They entered the Pardes, the orchard. It's called the orchard. And three out of the four were damaged it was Ben Azai, Ben Zoymeh, and Acher. And uh, one went mad, one died and one became a heretic and only Rabbi Akiva nichnas b'shalem v'yatsa b'shalem. he entered in peace and he left in peace shalom is also threes shalom is like it says oyesh shalom Hu huyasesh shalom aleinu you ever seen this what what that's talking about? What is mean Isa Shalom He who makes peace in his heights. Makhallan Gabriel. Makhallan Gabriel, very good. That you have Makhal who is Sar Hamayim on the right side. And you have Gabriel who is Sad Haish on the left side. Ultimate Chesed and Gavur. And comes the Abister and out of their bitl to him although they are opposites out of their bitl to the Abishta, they continue to function in harmony now that doesn't mean they become diluted and that mechol becomes a little bit like Gavriel, and Gavriel becomes a little bit m- like mechol and that in order to uh, wrong, you know, to right the wrongs of oppressing women women have to become more like men or men have to become feminized and be- become more like women We don't do that. We don't make the cholin. What it means is, Mechol remains Mechol. Gavril remains Gavril. They they remain steadfast, absolute, antithetical, polar opposites. And yet, because of their bitol, their absolute sense of surrender to Hashem, who is their master, their opposites don't fight with each other. Their opposites complement. Complement with an E. Uh, compliment like uh, like uh, like your haircut compliment, meaning they complete and and, and round, round each other out they, they give each other what they, sort of like a marriage you don't become your wife, your wife doesn't become you you each bring to each other what the other doesn't have Zohar doesn't become Malchus Malchus doesn't become Zohar they give to each other, they complete each other So, Eisah Shalom bimreim. Of Shalom means you have two opposites and they coexist because the big picture is bigger than both of them. Rebbe Akiva entered the parades B'Shalem and he left B'Shalem. He left in peace because he entered in peace. When he had an out-of-body experience, when he went to the highest heights of spirituality, he understood that didn't mean that the point was to get lost in spirituality. That whatever happened to him in his spiritual experience was for the sake of bringing it back to a physical, everyday, bodily experience. Rabbit talks about in the Rambam when the Rambam talks about the Aveda of the Kain and in Yim Kippur says that the Kain Godol comes out and he makes a party that he emerged the Shalom, he emerged intact in peace he says he comes it. it the Rambam describes at length all the different things that the, the high priest does on, on, on the day of atonement, all the different times he changes clothes, all the different times he immerses in the mikveh in between, and every sacrifice and the sprinkling of the blood. And it's very elaborate, I'm sure. You know, you've, you've at least on, on Yom Kippur, you've you've seen it in the Machzer during Musaf. The Rambam writes these all uh, as halachas, and then at the end of it all, it says he comes out, he takes off his work clothes, he puts on his his regular clothes, he goes home, and he makes a party that he immerses in peace that asks a simple question what business is it of ours what clothes he puts on and where he goes he punched out you know you punch the clock and then you you punch out and you're off of work he had a job to do he did his job he comes out he's done now who cares if he puts on his regular clothes and goes home or if he puts on a tuxedo and goes to Monte Carlo what do you care it's not your business The Rebbe explains that this is part of the Halacha, it's part of what the Rabbim writes as Psak Din, as ruling, because the whole point of whatever it is that the Kain Gadol achieved in the Kedosh HaGadoshim, in the highest heights of spirituality, was that when it's all done, put on your regular clothes and go home. That's shalom. That whatever it is that happens spiritually is for the sake of the material. Obviously, it goes without saying, whatever happens material is for the sake of the spiritual. Like eating before davening instead of davening before eating, right? So the material has to be used as fuel for the spiritual. But also the spiritual has to be expressed within the material. So... Is the purpose to come to Yeshiva, or to leave Yeshiva? shalom means the ability to span and encompass opposites without mitigating or compromising either. And what that means is that when you're in Yeshiva, you're really in Yeshiva. 100% in Yeshiva. And don't even dare think about what's going to happen after Yeshiva. It's a makshava zora mamish. It's absolutely a waste of time. You're 100% here. But when the time comes, when it's time to leave, remember the whole purpose of whatever it is that you experienced here was not in order to keep it here. It was only to be able to leave and bring it with you to wherever you're going. Whatever you did in the Kedosh the purpose was afterwards put on your regular clothes and go home. Bring it home. There is no time in history where this is more important. I mean, this is Judaism in a nutshell. This is Judaism. This is you know the, the 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 harmonization of the spiritual and and the material. But in this time when we're so close to Mashiach, which Mashiach is the ultimate harmonization of the spiritual and the physical, right? Where the perfection will occur not in heaven, but here on earth. And ultimately, the souls will come back in bodies and the bodies will nourish the souls. That ultimate harmonization, that ultimate shalom, we're on the brink of it. It's happening now. That that lifting up the whole world from the bottom. M'shayach will come before you leave Yeshiva. Mashiach has to come before you leave Yeshiva. But you should at least have in mind what you would do if Chas V'sholem you left Yeshiva and still in Gaulus. Even though it's not going to be germane, it's not applicable, but you should know. You'd have your plan. I'll tell you why. Tal there's a story I'll tell you very, very briefly that a Jew... Um, Well, back up a little bit. The Friedrich Rebbe was in Chicago. The Friedrich Rebbe visited Chicago. And at the end of his meeting with several Jews, um, they wanted to shake his hand. And the Friedrich Rebbe said, Only those who are Shemir Shabbos can shake my hand. So there was a Jew there who was not Shemir Shabbos. He had been. In in the in the old country, he certainly had been, but in America, everybody or many people became lax, and he he felt terrible. And just all of a sudden, you know, he was a Jew who appreciated. He he wanted to be. You know, he went to to a rebbe. He appreciated Yiddishkeit, but he wasn't so from at this point. So he turned to. accurate. I think it was I have to verify. And he asked if he can take on himself now to be Shemesh Shabbos and he'll be considered a Shemesh Shabbos even though it's the middle of the week and he hasn't yet had a Shabbos yet that he's actually kept. And uh, if the Rebbe Shliach told them, "Yeah, if you'll make Achlat, you do tshuva so uh, even though you didn't yet have a Shabbos, but you mean it, you you you're ready to keep Shabbos, you want to keep Shabbos, so you're a of Shabbos, even though you didn't yet have a Shabbos. So <sighs> you have to know what you would do Chas v'Shalom. Out of yeshiva in Gaulis, even though it's not going to be applicable for you. The purpose of coming to yeshiva is in order to leave yeshiva. That everything that you accomplish in ruchnias, bring it to the world. The world starts with your own family, your own children, then your neighborhood and your community. And uh, if you have any strength left after that, the whole world. And I mention this because I know that sometimes it's hard to make that adjustment. It's hard to make that shulling between the high-flying spirituality and then the Bring you know, bring it in for a landing, and sometimes it's like, you know, those who fly the highest end up coming down the lowest. for v'shalom. And you got to remember that the whole point of it is is to bring it peacefully back down to earth. I'll tell you one more story, then I'm uh, then I'm going to be done. for real. There was a bacher in 770 who had a very special relationship with the Rebbe. It was known that, just as one dogma, as one example, that um, as long as the Rebbe was in his office, the light was on in the Rebbe's office, this Bakr would stay in Zal, he would stay in the study hall, and he wouldn't leave. And it was also known this bacher could have Yechidists when he so chose. The name of the bacher. It was an Israeli bacher named Reuven Dunin, Olive Shalom. Now the story of Reb Reuven is very interesting. His father was some—I uh, don't know if he was a rav, but a litvisher yid—and uh, you know, very from and. Rebruvin was a very smart, very talented, very energetic guy, and he got bored of yeshiva, and basically as a teenager, he left. He went off, and he did his own thing, and he supported himself, actually. He got a job at a construction site driving a tractor, and he would make money, and he would spend it partying, and he would just... 24 hours. He would work all day, then party all night, and that was his life. And then, eventually, he kind of got tired of it, And he told his father he wants to go to Yeshiva. So his father couldn't get him into the Yeshivas from their community because they didn't want to touch him. He was a pariah. But uh, somehow his father, I guess he was desperate enough, he said, Okay, let's check out Chabad. And they went to the Chabad Yeshiva. And he said he was there for, you know, he walked around, he checked the place out for half an hour or however long. Well, not a long time. And after he was done, he shali. This is my place. I'm home. I'm, this is where I'm staying. So, I mean, normally his father wouldn't bring him to a Chabad yeshiva, but in that situation, okay, you know, if that's where they'll take him and he wants to be there, I, I I'll let him go. So then the, the Rosh yeshiva said, I'm not so sure about you. You know, you're, you are you, you, don't know this and you're going to be very far behind. So he says, don't worry, I'll catch up. So the first thing he did is, He used his old routine of working all day and partying all night. That's how he was in yeshiva. He would keep Seder all day. Do not try this at home. He would keep Seder all day. And then at night, he would have a shift. He would actually have shifts of Bacharim who would tutor him. So he was basically, the way he used to work and then party, he would just go to yeshiva and go to yeshiva. So he would do a double shift of yeshiva every day. And not only he caught up, but he became a very, very advanced student. So then, after a while, he told Rosh Shiva, he wants to go to New York, he wants to go to 7-7 and see the Rebbe. Now, normally, it wasn't considered a thing that... I mean, nowadays, Bachram from Eretz Yisrael, they come to New York all the time, but back then, it was it was considered something like... not necessarily, you know, you have to earn it, it has to be right for you. Um, and so normally, they would tell a Bachram, no, you know, you... you Stay in yeshiva, but Rebbe Ruven was an older bacher already, and he he was very mature. He'd been out in the world, and he he'd had a life, and so uh, the Shiva told him, okay, you can go to, you can go to you can go to New York, you can go to the Rebbe. So he started to prepare. He was preparing very 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 seriously, and um, one of the things that he was told. Mm-hmm is that your first Yechidus with the Rebbe and not just your first yechidis, but the first words of your first Yechidus sets you up for life whatever it is the Rebbe says to you first that is your path in life that's what somebody told him so he came to the Rebbe he wrote a very long settle, a very long letter and it basically told his whole life it told his whole long story and then it, you know, how he got to yeshiva and then once it gets to the yeshiva part he went into detail about everything that he learned and everything that he's learning and it was, it was, it was quite detailed so he gave the Rebbe his tzato and the Rebbe, you know, how the Rebbe would read a letter he would turn it like this and scan it and then finish it and then, you know, take the next paper and he'd turn it and scan it and read it, and he read, I don't know how many pages the, the note was, but the Rebbe read the whole long letter about, you know, everything he had accomplished and everything he was learning and everything he had done in yeshiva and then the Rebbe was about to speak and the Rebbe was thinking, this is it, this is, set, this is setting me up for life and the Rebbe said to him so you know how to drive a tractor And he started crying because, to him, that represented everything that he wanted to get away from. That was the opposite of everything that he had chosen. And he was devastated. That was like being thrown away from the place that he had fought where to get in. He tried to sort of minimize it, but it always stayed at the back of his mind. You know, he hoped maybe you know that wasn't so significant. But eventually, there came a day where uh, you know the Rebbe told him it's time to move on, and uh, he was crying. And the Rebbe said to him, "Look, at this point, you got to leave either way." Because if I'm a Rebbe, I know where your soul belongs. And if I don't know where your soul belongs, then I'm not a Rebbe. And then why would you give up your life in order to be here with me? So either way, now you got to leave. And he went back to his old town, to Haifa and to his old stomping grounds, and the old job, and the construction, and driving the tractor. Very, very blue-collar work, hanging out with very, very blue-collar type people. And and these were very secular people, more than secular. I mean, they were far, far left, mostly socialists, and and anti-religious. And these were the guys that he worked with and hung out with and he could have been at that point he could have been a mashpia in yeshiva and never sent them back to the, to the tractor and yet from that tractor Rebbe was Mekarev of and to the Rebbe thousands of people who would never speak to a regular rabbi they weren't going to walk into a a base medrash or a shul but he took the the best medus and the shul to them, and they could relate to him. And he was a regular guy. They respected him. He's a guy who carried his lunch to work in a in a lunchbox. You know, regular working guy. So, you know, Pirkey says, "Al korchoh ato chai. al kor ato meis. They get you coming and going either way. <laughs> What does that mean? That when the soul has to come into a body, it cries. It doesn't want to go into a body. I want to stay up here. Heaven is like you're in the warm blankets and you're sleeping and it's so pleasant and someone rips off the blankets and you have to get up. Some obnoxious guy takes the corner of a negrovasa cup and he's clanging it on... The, oh, you don't know about that trick? Whoever's the Vakar, This, if you really want to just ruin everybody's sleep, you take the the quart, you'd be amazed. Especially if you stand in a stairwell. Those things echo like crazy. You take the corner of the quart and go... And it just... Uh, okay, just try it out tomorrow morning. At any rate... <laughs> so when the... When the soul is up and having... It's like it's under the warm blankets, and it's so comfortable. And then they say, no, time to go into a body. And it's traumatic. It is a trauma. That is a trauma for the soul to be plunged into a body, ripped away from heaven, plunged into a physical world where there's so much distraction and and, and falseness and ugliness and and, and lies and it's in a body and it has to feel these things that aren't important and aren't real and it's trauma for the soul and soul says get me out of here, I don't want to be here and then what happens after the course of 120 good productive years in a body of doing mitzvahs mysias physical actions, 613 practical actions that we do with our bodies, the soul realizes, this is it. It's not in heaven. In heaven is a subjective experience. That's a, you get to watch the Pyrotechnics show. That's very, it's very interesting. But that's, that's just seeing godliness. Being in a physical world and surrendering your body to God's will. That's being godliness. That's not subjective. That's being it. One with it. This is where it's at, the physical world, where you can become a Merkava Lelokos, you can become a chariot, you surrender yourself to God's will, you become His hand. Become His the extension of, of His will. And then they tap Him on the shoulder, and they say, "Neshamala, time to come back. No, no, don't take me. So they, they get you coming or going, that's the way it is. When you're up there, you... They they, 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 they they rip you out of of, of the warm blankets and they, they plunge you down here. And when you finally get used to being down here, they rip you out of here and they send you back up there. When you have all these big plans and all these reasons why you can't be in yeshiva, because you need to get back to school in the fall, nobody has excuses like that, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like a trauma. You have to leave all of your plans and everything that's normal. And you go to this crazy place. And then after you're here for a while and you realize this is what it's all about. And then they say, "Yeah, hey, time to leave. Get married, you know, go start a Jewish home. It's actually a little bit the opposite of because the soul gets ripped out of heaven and gets plunged into the, and the world. So right now, you know, if you're not in yeshiva, it's like you're in the world and then you get sent to heaven. But then when you leave yeshiva, that's like the soul leaving heaven and going back to the world. You get the trauma on both ends. Hey, isn't that cool? You get to get traumatized three times. (laughs) Right? If you're raised in yeshiva, then you only have the trauma of leaving. But if you're raised not in yeshiva, you have the trauma of having to go to it, and it's weird, and then it becomes normal, then you have to leave. Mm -hmm. That's shalom. That's the peace. That's the big picture. The spiritual and the physical and the creator and creation and the soul and the body and... And they all exist together in harmony for one purpose, to serve and glorify one God who created them both. And that is Chassidus. B'chaim.